At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? How many of you have ever played hide-and-seek? Or perhaps you're too old to admit that, but perhaps you played with your children. Hide-and-seek? Yeah, I have some. Yeah, you guys have played hide-and-seek, right? You probably still do. Yeah. Um, There's a designated count, right? Somebody counts. And then after the count is done, what do you scream? Ready or not? Oh, you've played it. Um, That's wonderful. Ready or not, here I come. I feel like the series we're in is a little bit like that. Like, God is counting, but we don't know the count. (laughs) And someday, He's going to say, ready or not? Oh, yeah, here I come. And it's like, (gasps) I don't know about you, the older I've gotten, the harder it's been to find a hiding place. You know, those cupboards you used to crawl into (laughs) under the bed no longer works. I'm a little too big for under the bed. Um, And sometimes it's like, Lord, I'm I'm not ready. I'm not ready. In this series, I hope and I pray that this series has really helped us wake up. Wake up to the fact that ready or not, he's coming. We don't know the count, but he's coming. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. We've been in a series over the last five weeks now, uh, looking at Matthew chapter 24 and 25, uh, called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is sitting on the top of the Mount of Olives, telling his disciples about things that are coming. More specifically, he just told them that the temple is going to be destroyed, and Jerusalem is going to be devastated. And of course, that scares and shocks the disciples. And so we have listened to Jesus talk about the fact that, you know, these things are going to take place. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars and things are going to happen and false teachers are going to come. And ultimately, this temple that you love and and really honor, this temple is going to be flattened so that not one stone is left upon another. And we know that with, as with prophecy, these things did occur, right? All these things that Jesus talked about in chapter 24 occurred in AD 70 when the Roman legions descended on Jerusalem and destroyed everything. But just like every other prophecy we have in Scripture, or most every other prophecy, there's both a now and a not yet component. So yes, these things did occur in AD 70, but there's coming a day when all of those things will happen again. That all of that will ultimately be fulfilled and that ending will culminate in the visible bodily return of Jesus Christ. Amen? If there was ever a place for a really strong amen, like that was it. Can we try that again? Like the visible bodily return of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's the ready or not here I come part. All right? What we've also seen, and maybe if you are watching and paying attention to things happening in the world, things that Jesus talked about, wars and rumors of wars and false teachers and earthquakes and famines and pandemics, um, happen in every generation. So there's this pattern that repeats over and over and over again, but ultimately 
It's all going to end one day when Jesus comes back. By the way, amen. Jesus could come back right now, right? Nope, didn't happen. Like, he could come back when you're sitting for lunch, right? Like, probably just before the bill, Lord, right? Um, uh, he could come back tomorrow. He could come back next week. He could come back next decade. He could come back 200 years from now. Truth is, we don't know. He has a count. He's counting, but we don't know. And so we've been looking at uh, Jesus telling us stories of the things that are going to happen and of how we should be ready. He's, given, he's telling us five stories, two of which are at the end of chapter 24, and we looked at that. And he was talking about the suddenness of his coming, that it's going to be sudden, so be ready. And last week, we looked at the first story given to us in chapter 25, which was the parable of the ten virgins. And really, the, the message there was that we should be prepared while we wait. So today, we come to the, third, the, the fourth story in a series of five that Jesus is telling us. It's the parable of the talents, a, a story, a, a parable familiar to many of you. But in this story, Jesus is still trying to prepare us. He's trying to get our mindset into the future because what's coming in the future should shape how we live today. And so in this story, we're going to learn that we as children of God must be diligent and as we live diligently, we are to faithfully serve our master. We are to faithfully serve our master. What I'd like to do this morning is to just read the story for you. And as I read, I'm going to stop in different places and we're just going to talk about some of the things we've, talked, we've just read. And then at the end, I want to share with you three les lessons that we can take away from the story. You all right with that? All right. I'm in Matthew chapter... 25, starting in verse 14. I hope, I hope you're there. I really can't wait any longer, all right? All right. Verse number 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So it starts with for it. So the word it doesn't have anything around it to tell us what the it is. But if you go back to verse number 1, Jesus said, for the kingdom of heaven will be like... And so Jesus has been talking to us about what heaven is going to look like, or at least what people who are in the kingdom are going to be like. And so the it of verse 14 is the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven will be like a, a master who is going away on a long journey. Now, it's not too hard or too much of a stretch for us to look at that master and say, oh, that must be who? It's a simple answer, right? You're in church. The answer has to be, yeah, the master is Jesus. And he is going away on a long journey, isn't he? He's about to die on the cross. We're just days away in the story from Jesus being arrested and crucified. But once he's risen from the dead, he's going to ascend into heaven, and he's going to be a while. He's not coming back immediately. There's going to be this delay. And so that's really a good picture of Jesus. And and as this master in this story is going away for a while, he's going to entrust his property, his resources, to some servants. Look at verse number 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. You know, a talent in the ancient world was the highest monetary unit. 
And instead of looking at it as a value, it was a measure of weight. And so if this was a talent of gold or of silver, this was worth a lot of money, right? A talent is roughly 75 pounds, 75 pounds, right? I don't know if you've checked gold prices, but gold prices are about $1,000 plus an ounce. So if you do the math, and I know you came to church to do math today, 75 pounds at $1,000 an ounce is about... $2 million. It's about $2 million. I know you knew that. One talent, $2 million. So two talents must be? Yeah. And then four talents must be, oh, I'm sorry, five talents must be $10 million. I mean, these guys are getting a lot of money. Anybody want a talent? Yeah, <laughs> sign me up. Sign me up. Even the guy who got just one got a lot of money. This is intended to show the wealth, the, the splendor of the master as he gives his resources, his property, to these three servants. I mean, these guys are getting a lot of money. So when the disciples heard this parable, they heard money. You know, it wasn't until about the 15th century that the word talent started to be used as another synonym for skills or abilities. And it's not much of a stretch, is it, <clears throat> to think about talents as being more than just money, that Jesus intended for this to be a representative of things greater than just money. It includes money, but it's so much more than money. And so these, these three guys get a whole lot of money. The other thing you, I, I notice in this uh, verse, this single verse, is that Jesus, or this master, gave according to each person's ability. The word ability there is the word power. It's their power, their ability to handle what the master has given to them. You know, Jesus recognizes here really the unfairness of life. Not everyone is created the same. We don't all have the same starting point. Some are born into abundance and some are born into scarcity. Some have a whole bunch of things in their life and some have very, very few. And yet what this story is going to teach us is that regardless of our starting point, there is still something entrusted to us. And even the little that we have is lavished on us by a master who has a lot. Amen? And that's what verse number 15 is talking about. We're now in verse number 16, and Jesus goes on to say, He who has received the five talents, he who had received the five talents, went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his money. Did you note the first two servants, the ones that received five and two, did you notice the word? They went at once. They, I mean, there's an immediacy to what they did. There's an eagerness to take what was given to them to do something with it. And so this master has entrusted a lot of money to these, these people. And the first two guys receive it with joy. They receive it with gladness and in their exuberance at once. They go and invest it. The Bible says that in their investment, they doubled it. Gosh, I would really like to see my investments doubled. How about you? I'd really like to. But that's what they did. Five-talent guy made 
Five talents more. Two-talent guy, two talents more. That's a 100% return on investment. The immediacy, the urgency, the intensity with which they went to invest what was entrusted to them. But notice the third guy. The third guy stands in stark contrast, doesn't he? He received something from the master. A lot of money. A million dollars or two million dollars is a lot of money. And yet, what does he do? He digs a hole and he buries that money and he covers it up. And then at the end, he returns it to his sender, to his master. By the way, back in the ancient world, that's what people did with their valuables. They dug a hole in the ground, they buried it, and he covered it, and hoping nobody would figure out where they hid it. It's kind of a little hide-and-seek in miniature. Because, you know, banks and investing were relatively new things in the ancient world. And so what did you do with valuables? You hid it in the ground. Remember Achan in the, in the, in the book of Joshua when he took the things from Jericho? What did he do? He dug a hole in his tent, and he buried it, and he covered it with a rug. Right? That's what you do in the ancient world, or did. And that's what this guy did. He didn't invest it. He covered it up with some dirt. By the way, I, had a, I have a friend who has a grandmother who's in her mid-90s. She keeps all of her money in her house. I'm not telling you where the house is. Um, but her money's in her mattress, literally. And actually, it's in tins and in, in boxes all around her house. Do you know why? She went through the depression. So she doesn't trust any bank. All her money, every dollar, she keeps with her. That's kind of what this guy's like. He doesn't want to take any risk. And so he digs a hole and he sticks it in the ground. So here we are, verse number 17. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. If you were here last week, you, you know that that verse is similar to what happened in the parable of the ten virgins. It's the same verse just with a different context. The story last week turned on the delay of the bridegroom. The story today turns on this verse that there is a long delay. But after the long delay is over, the master comes back and he wants an accounting of what these servants have done with the money, right? So notice verse number 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying... Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, for both of these men, as soon as the master came back, you notice there's an exuberance in presenting what has happened. They both come up to the master and they say almost the same things. Master, you gave us this much. Look at what we got done for you. You gave us this we got this done. There's, there's an excitement. There is a joy. There's, there's celebration at the, at the opportunity to have done something with what the master has entrusted to them. Five-talent guy comes and says, look, master, 
I've got five talents more. Two talent guys, same thing. Two talents more. Master, we were able to get a 100% return on the investment you gave to us. I mean, there's this breathless excitement going on. As I read this, I can imagine just the exuberance they have as they're presenting to the master. And notice that the master has the exact same commendation for both of them. Even though they, they had different starting points, they both ended up with the same return. And so they both get the same commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. Now I'll give you some, some more to be faithful with. Enter into the joy of your master. Same words. Identical praise from the master. You know, the one that gained more isn't given more blessing or more praise than the one who had only two. The master says the same thing because they were faithful to what they've been given. But notice verse number 24. While these two men worked hard to turn a profit, the third guy who buried it, notice what he says in verse number 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Wow. That's a totally different response, isn't it? Totally different. Master, you're a hard man. I mean, can you imagine the guy? I mean, you can even just see the TV series, right? The guy is standing there pointing at the master. You're a hard man. That word hard has the idea of being harsh. Like Pharaoh was hard on the Israelites it's the same idea. This master, you're harsh. Not only are you a harsh man, you make other people do all of the work so you can enjoy the blessing. I mean, can you imagine talking to your boss that way? <laughs> but that's what this guy did. You know what he's doing? He's blame shifting. Master, the reason I didn't do anything with this stuff is your fault. You're a bad man. This man thought he knew the master. This man thought he understood who his master was. But the truth is, he, he had no idea, did he? He had no idea. By the way, this man was so afraid of doing something wrong, of not turning a profit, perhaps even losing this investment, that instead of doing something with what he's been given, he did nothing at all. And in doing nothing, he's essentially useless, isn't he? Essentially useless. Notice what the master now has to say to, to him in verse number 26. But, this, but his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. So just as we're reading this, read sarcasm. All right? Jesus loves sarcasm. This is sarcasm. Right? You thought that I was a hard man and reaped where I had scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents, 
For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Instead of commendation, this man gets condemnation. Wicked and slothful. Essentially calling him evil and useless. Useless. Instead of receiving praise, instead of receiving joy, instead of receiving well done, he gets judged. He gets ridiculed. He gets a harsh punishment for the harshness of his heart. He is separated from the master. He's thrown into outer outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Or in essence, there's grief, there's regret, and there's separation from the master. Wow, what an ending to a story. It's a wake-up call for all of us because Jesus is coming back and we don't know the count. Ready or not, here I come. Jesus wants us to be ready. He wants us to be diligent, diligently, faithfully serving the master. So that's the story. Can I give you three lessons from this? The first lesson I'd like to leave with you is that we must respond rightly to what God has entrusted to us. We must respond rightly to what God has entrusted to us. You realize that all three of these men who received something from this master recognized that what they had been given was not theirs. If you look at the story and you look at the words, all three, even the the wicked servant, recognized that what he had been given was not his. It was the master's. And that's a lesson for you and me. We have to recognize that what we have in our life, in fact, our very life itself, is a gift from God. Psalm 24 and verse number 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein. That means all of us, every person, every tree and every animal, every atom of this planet and this universe belongs to who? It's a simple answer, right? It belongs to God because He made it out of nothing. He spoke and it came into existence. Everything belongs to him. James in chapter 1 and verse 17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good gift comes from who? God. He is the source of everything we have in our lives. The sooner we recognize who really owns everything, the sooner we recognize who our very lives belong to, the better we can now be joyful and honor the giver of those gifts. Everything we have, every resource, every bit of strength, every bit of money, even our very family, the ability that we have, perhaps you're sitting here and you know how to fix cars, that skill comes from God. Yeah, you're saying, yeah, but I went to school for that. Uh Uh-huh, that's true. Who helped you get into that school? Who gave you the couple of brain cells to help you get through that school? I know how God helped me get through school. It was all Him. I got to tell you, I thought I flunked several exams. And God gave grace. Praise God. If 
Folks, everything we have, our skills, our brains, our physical strength, our abilities, our resources, our talents, everything comes from Him. And when we recognize that, that creates a mindset of thankfulness because the God who lavished us with His grace, who lavished us with talents and skills, we then get to return thanks to Him for all of it. And yes, we get to use it to make money and to have a living. That's true. But we also have to entrust ourselves to Him to respond rightly to what He has given us. And we respond first with gratitude. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've given me. It's not a lot, but thank you for what you've given me. Or perhaps you're here and say, Lord, I got a lot. Thank you. Some of your thank yous got to be big (laughs) because we have been entrusted with a lot. The reason some of us can't be thankful is because we don't know Him. We don't know the giver. We don't recognize Him as being generous. Friends, I hope that's not you. I hope you know Him. Because when we truly know Him, our hearts just explode with gratitude that He so lavishly blessed us, so lavishly gave us more than we ever deserved. So we need to respond rightly to what God has given us. You know, the problem with many of us is we sit back and we compare ourselves to one another and say, well, I don't, I don't preach as good as that guy on stage. I don't preach really well, but that's a different story. Um, I don't sing like Ryan. You know, I'm not as good looking as that person back over there. You know, I don't have the strength that person has. I can't fix cars. God, I don't got much. Many, many, many years ago, Nick Vujicic, and I'm pronouncing that last name wrong. Nick Vujicic came to um, the Troy campus. Do you know Nick? Here's Nick. He was born without arms and feet. Do you know Nick? No hands, no arms, forget for hands. No, hand, no arms, no feet. You can imagine him looking around this crowd and saying, but, but God, I don't have any hands. I can't do anything for you. God, I have no feet. I can't go anywhere for you. Lord, I, I, and he could live his whole life in bitterness because he can't do what you and I can do. He can't accomplish anything. He can't even brush his own teeth. But that's not how Nick lives. Nick lives with the joy of the Lord in his heart. He travels the world telling people about God who made him that way, sharing the gospel with people. Nick, he doesn't sit and compare himself to us. He says, God gave me all of this. Yes, I have no hands and yes, I have no feet, but I have a mouth and I can use it for the glory of God. Friends, stop. Let's stop comparing. Let's stop looking around. Let's start looking up and look at the giver of the gift and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you have given to me. Amen? The second lesson I want to leave with you is that we must reinvest for the kingdom of God. We must reinvest for the kingdom of God. So not only must we rightly respond to what God has given us, we must reinvest what God has given to us. So the first question is, What is it that God has given to us? And the second question is, well, what am I doing with what God has given to us? And some of us are thinking, but I don't have a lot. 
In Matthew chapter 14, there's a story of the feeding of the 5,000. You remember? Three days Jesus spent teaching these people, and at the end of it, they're all hungry because they've eaten everything. And Jesus says, feed them. Uh, God, we're not like in Warren where there's a McDonald's down the road. We're in the middle of nowhere, <clears throat> right? There's nothing except a boy with five loaves and two fish. You remember that story? Just last week, myself and, and all of the teaching team members of Woodside were, were, were at a teaching team meeting, and Dallas Jenkins, I don't know if you know Dallas, Dallas is the creator of The Chosen. If you don't, haven't seen The Chosen, you should. It's a multi-season uh, series on the life of Christ. Fantastic. Dallas spoke to us about storytelling, and he shared his lessons about about life and what God has taught him. And one of the things that God taught him, and God specifically taught him, is he says, Dallas, God hasn't called you to feed the 5,000. He's just asked you to bring the loaves and the fish. Did you catch that? God hasn't taught, called all of us to feed the 5,000. He simply asked us to bring the five loaves and the two fish. How can five loaves and two fish feed 5,000, Jesus? It can't. You're right because you're using human math. Dallas went on to say that another lesson that God taught him is that God does impossible math. I don't know how five loaves and two fish feed 5,000 people, but God does. All your job and my job, bring the loaves and bring the fish. Let God do the multiplication. So you're looking around and saying, Lord, this stuff that I have, it's not enough. It's nothing. I don't know what you want to do. Other people can do this a whole lot better than me. Why don't you just let them? And God says, that's not the question. The question is, can you entrust to me the little I've given you so that he can then multiply it and feed the crowd of 5,000? That's the question. Now, some of you are still not convinced. Well, that's, because that's Jesus. That's in the Bible. That's not like reality, right? I know. So I'm going to ask for a show of hands. Ready? <clears throat> You have a choice. I can give you a penny, a penny that doubles every day for 30 days, and at the end of 30 days, you can take whatever's in the bank. Or I can give you a million dollars at 3% interest. How many of you want the million dollars with 3% interest? Come on, let's be honest. I mean, if I were to give it to you today, how many of you want the million dollars with 3% interest? I see some hands. How many of you want the penny that doubles every day for 30? You want the penny? All right, ready? Here, watch. There's the million dollars, all right? There's the penny. We start with a penny <coughs> and a million dollars in the bank, and the penny doubles every day. The million dollars has a 3% interest. In seven days, you're at 64 cents for the penny. You're still a lot of money with the million dollars. Okay, how about in two weeks? In two weeks, oh my, you're not even at $100 with that penny. How many of you wanted that penny again? Yikes. All right, what's the next one? Three weeks. Oh, wow, we're catching up slowly. We're catching up. $10,000, that's a long way away from a million dollars. Do you want to rethink your penny? Look at what happens in 30 days. Did you see that? How many of you wanted that million dollars? A penny doubled every day for 30 days far exceeds a million dollars at 3% interest. Folks, a penny can
can make a difference if you're willing to invest it and offer it to Jesus. If five loaves and two fish can feed the thousand, your penny can change the world if you offer it to Him who does impossible math. Amen? We have to be willing to reinvest what God has given to us. There's a tendency to take the little we have and say, Lord, it doesn't matter. It's only a penny. So many people have lots of pennies. I'm just going to bury this. Please don't fall into that temptation. Invest the penny that God has given you for the glory of God. The third lesson I want to leave with you is we must remember the return of the Lord. We must remember the return of the Lord because one day he's going to say, ready or not, here I come. Whether you're ready or not, he's coming. On that day, he's not coming as a lamb. He's coming as a lion. Amen? He's no longer coming as a, a man. He's coming as God. He's no longer coming as a baby in a manger. He's coming as king of kings and lord of lords. He's coming as the judge of the living and the dead. And on that day, the books are going to be opened. And God is going to judge us based on what we have done with this life. What will Jesus have to say? about how we lived our life. Friends, that day is coming. We know it's coming because He said He would come. He told us there's a delay. Yes, it's been almost 2,000 years. Yes, it's long. But He's coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? You know, it's very interesting that these two faithful servants that we see here chose to reinvest what what little, what, well, they were lavished with what the master gave them. And they were able to double their investment, and they were able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But the third servant, the third servant's mistake was he thought he knew the master, but he didn't. He thought he had it in with the master, but he didn't. You know, there's countless numbers of people in the world today, even within the church today, who think they know God. They think they have the inside track on understanding who God is. And so they look at God as a taskmaster in the sky who they have to do all these things to please, all the while missing the fact that that's not the heart of God. That God in His sovereignty and in His grace came down not as a taskmaster in the sky, but as a person who came to this earth to die on a cross. He didn't stay up there as a harsh and a hard taskmaster. He loved us so much to give his whole life for us, shedding every drop of blood so that those of us who accept him by faith can have an intimacy with him, a relationship with him that we didn't deserve. This third servant didn't know him like he thought he did. And as a result, squandered any opportunity to opportunity to do anything with the resources that have been entrusted to him. Folks, let me be clear. If we don't know Jesus Christ, then we're missing the point. If we don't know Jesus Christ, then we're not ready. If we don't know Jesus Christ, then the things that we have in this life will be used for selfish gain or buried never to be used and we won't have the gratitude or an intimacy for God and with God that he deserves. So friends, it starts with knowing Jesus Christ. If you don't know him, 
can I encourage you, if I can plead with you to come to know Jesus Christ by faith. Today is the day. Now is the time. This is the place where we can give our hearts and life to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I've made a mess of my life. I've squandered everything you've given me. Lord, I'm sorry for my sins, and I accept you as my Lord and as my Savior. The Bible says the moment you do, Jesus Christ comes to be the Lord of your life. You will have a love and a joy and a peace that you've never experienced before. And you have a relationship with God that we don't deserve. Won't you take time today, in the busyness of what you have going on today, to say yes to Jesus, to say no to yourself. Brothers and sisters, if you are here today and you know Jesus Christ, I'm so very thankful for you. May I encourage you today to look at what what it is God has given you. What is it that God has entrusted to you? It may not be a lot. It may be overflowing. But the truth is every single one of us sitting here has been lavished with gifts. And that's true. If you compare yourself with anybody else, I told you not to compare, but if you did for just a moment, compare yourself to other people in other parts of the world, we have more than so many people in this world. What has God entrusted us with? Second question, what are we doing with what God has entrusted to us? What has God entrusted to us and what are we doing with what God has given to us? Friends, the answers to those questions will matter when Jesus comes. Because ready or not, Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that you are coming. That one day the clouds will split, the trumpet will sound, and you will descend, and we who know you will rise to meet you in the air. That day is coming. We can't wait. But Lord, until that day, you have entrusted us so much. You have given us lavishly of gifts and resources and talents and skills and abilities and money and, and so much more. Lord, may we be found faithful, serving you with what you have entrusted to us, using these things, these gifts and talents, this money, these resources, this strength, to bring you glory, to bring you honor, and to bring you praise. We pray for every head that's bowed here this morning. Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you today, may today be the day of salvation. We'll thank you and glorify you and praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.